Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 4, Episode 16, On the Head of a Pin. Let's get this show on the road. This is where the fanfare and confetti sound effects have to come in because (laughs) I was right. You were. You absolutely were. Do you realize how much I kicked myself in that episode for asking you to clarify what you meant about the demon blood? How many episodes have we had this conversation about demon blood? Well, quite a few, because it's been at least six episodes. The first time that we had this conversation was in Heaven and Hell, 410. Episode 10? It's been six weeks Of you taunting me with this? It's been six weeks of me gaslighting you. (laughs) You were teasing me in a way where it was like, I don't want to give you the answer. It's made me think like, oh, maybe I'm right. And you're just trying to be coy about it and like not admit I'm right. But then it got to the point where it like went too far. And I almost like looped back around to like, oh, no, no, she's having fun at my expense in a very positive and okay way. And I'm not going to be insulted by that. You dove into it so much and you like bought into it. That I was just like, oh, my God, (laughs) do I just tell him? (laughs) I'm not going to sit here and lie to my listeners and our listeners. Like, there are things I know vaguely happen. Like, I know at some point, whether they're in a single episode, a single scene or the next seven seasons, a someone on IMDb is credited as playing God. They could be a voiceover. They could be a major character. I don't know. So where I have predicted that God will show up in the show eventually, I was vaguely right in that sense, but I don't know in what way. So maybe I heard some of a demon blood being a thing. I don't know. But like genuinely, like this was just a like random ass guess out of like, what would the show do with us? Now we know. Are we ready to go with your recap? Sure. Count me down. Wonderful. Three, two, one, go. Basically, just a cold open of Cass and Uriel being like, hey, we need Dean to come torture the demon who got him to torture people and taught him how to be a torturing guy and relive the horrible traumas from hell that he said he never wanted to have to relive or deal with, you know, in exact opposition to all of Dean's wishes. Dean doesn't want to do it. He ends up doing it. Sam finally kind of hits a breaking point and goes, you know what? I can't see my brother suffer like this and have to go through with this bullshit. Damn those angels. Damn what they're making Dean have to do. Damn this demon for being such a jerk. I'm going to do what I finally have to do because it's my rightful thing to do and drink some demon blood and get super mega demon buff and go kill that Alistair asshole. All while angels are being murdered, it turns out. I don't even talk about that at the top of all this. I got so distracted by Dean. And then it turns out it's Uriel who's killing all of them, not even some demon. And then they end up killing Uriel. And now Cass is all like, I'm doubtful of things because Uriel was evil. And he wanted to bring back Lucifer. I I lost the train at this point, but I think I got all the major points out of the way time. I forgot that the cold open was an angel being murdered. (laughs) That's how insane this episode was. I mean, it's got so much and it's very foundational because there's a lot of information that is going to follow for the next few seasons. So if you want to go directly into the long game, I'd be okay with that. Let's get right into it. There's a lot, I'm sure. So the first thing is that we see our very first 
And second, Dead Angel. They don't hide that card of this game. They're just like, yeah, angels can die. Oh, did it again. Angels can die and only angels can kill them. Or at the very least, like only angel blades can kill them. We're also introduced to the angel blade. That's the only thing that can kill an angel. And we are also going to see angel blades following through to season 15. So question, you put it plural. Do do all angels have these blades? Is that just like standard issue equipment for angels? That is sort of where the show is heading. Yes. Cass is starting to, quote unquote, express emotions, the doorways to doubt. So regarding our conversation about whether angels can feel, I think that this counts as a yes. We will get on this topic later during story time a little bit, I think. But I agree. I like how you're like, but I agree. (laughs) It will make sense later. Alistair tells Dean that he tortured John Winchester in hell for a hundred years, and every time he offered him the same deal that he offered Dean, which was basically to get off the table and to torture other souls, he alleges, note my words, that John never took him up on it. And there's a strong conversation to be had about whether or not you think that Alistair was telling the truth here, and I'm going to be going into that a little bit in critical time. Alistair also calls Dean daddy's little girl, and not the man his daddy wanted him to be, which can be read as a homophobic remark or a transphobic remark, depending on on where you stand on Dean's identity. Uh, Either way, it hinges upon the idea that somehow Dean isn't manly enough. We've harped on this so many times, there's no point really rehashing it. We can continue. We find out what it is that gives Sam his powers. Demon blood. (laughs) A bloody ruby, if you may. (laughs) My next cocktail will be named that. I feel like at this point, I want to check in with you about how you feel about Ruby, because we haven't done this a lot this season. Like, what do you think? Is she good, bad? Because there's only six episodes left to the season. I'll be honest, like before you even asked, my gut was very like Ruby is in the good camp. Like some of the shit she's put up with this season between the way she kind of like semi-repaired the relationship with Dean, what we learn about her relationship with Sam while Dean was in hell, and even, like, the sacrifices she made to essentially save an ex-angel is just, like, if this is really all some sort of long con to get something out of Sam, like, wow. That is commitment. But again, that is completely within the show's budget to do. I think they have done such a good job lulling me into a sense of security that Ruby is actually good, that as much as I believe she's good, I am I, I will be shocked more so if we don't get a twist by the end. Like if we legitimately hit the end of this season, let alone the end of Ruby's run, and Ruby was actually good this whole time, I will be more shocked. Okay, so you would be more shocked if she had if she was good than if she was bad. Correct. In this moment, I feel like she is truly good. Totally, totally a side tangent here. How does the whole demon blood thing work? Like, is it just anyone who's been possessed by a demon? Like, if she stops possessing somebody, does their blood become not demon blood anymore? Oh, we're going to see the metaphysics of that a little bit later, or the lore of that, however you want to call it. I want us to note that Anna was able to put her destroyed human body back together, uh, and we need to keep that in mind for later. Why do I get the feeling something bad's going to happen to Cass's body? Oh, because you saw the beating that he took this time, right? Like... (laughs) They're not going to be gentle with our poor Cass. So Cass tells Anna, you fell. Like, it's literally the worst thing that can happen to an angel. I mean, given the kind of, like, indoctrination there is with angels and the way they see, like, 
we're, we're told they believe in order. Currently, the three angels we've seen all do not believe in order the way that we should. Like, we literally have three characters saying this is the way angels are. But I'm the exception, all three of them said at once in unison. But it really feels to me like an angel choosing to, like, give up their grace and go to humanity is, like, the ultimate sin for an angel. So you mean that to go against an established institution of order is seen as wrong, as sinning, right? Is what I'm hearing? Okay. Interesting. I I hear it too, don't worry. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Dean finds out that he was the righteous man who started the apocalypse by shedding blood in hell. Oh man, we will talk about that scene during story time. Woof. I think that that was probably one of the best acted scenes on Supernatural. Oh, this episode acting-wise gets like all my nominations. Sam kills Alistair, kills Alistair, Alistair with his powers. I don't know where to put the emphasis here. <laughs> I, all, all of the word Sam, yeah, exactly. kills, Sam Alistair kills Alistair with his with powers. His, <laughs> his powers. We are seeing the direct benefit of the demon blood, if you can call it such. Reminder, what was it like seven or eight episodes ago? We couldn't even stop Alistair from like walking there was like, it was literally zero to I can now kill demons, let alone Alistair. I find that like, you know, the fact that they killed Alistair so quote unquote early on and so unceremoniously is just like so good. It's a real power move. I, I feel like the most famous example of this I can compare it to, and I really feel like it does earn the comparison. Uh, spoiler for season one of Game of Thrones. I'm sorry. When, like, in the second to last episode of the first season, they kill the main character, essentially. That is balls. That is taking a character who, like, really has this buildup. And as much as Alistair's only been there for, like, most of a season, he really felt like he could be a, like, long-term villain for, like, a season or two, even. I think it shows just how truly terrifying Sam's powers are. Oh, I'm excited to see where they go. The phrase, you have to stop it, that we first heard in 403, comes back, and this time it's about Dean stopping the apocalypse. Ooh, Cass and the foreshadowing. You're putting a lot of pressure on this boy. You really do believe in him. Oh, he does. He believes in him, all right. Okay, after what might be the longest long game ever, shall we head to story time? Yes, let's do that. So today, our theme is reluctance. What comes to mind? A... Intangible fear about an action or a decision. Ooh, intangible. I like that. Like, I feel like sometimes the reluctance to, like, do something scary might just be like, this is going to hurt. But sometimes it's more of the what are the bigger consequences to doing this? Like, yes, right now I am getting on my bicycle on this really steep hill in the rain and I might hurt myself. But like, is there a bigger thing? Is there like more to think about psychologically or down the road that I'm not considering that are going to have consequences because of this action. So it comes from a Latin word that means resisting or struggling against. And so today when we talk about being reluctant to do something, we mean that someone is hesitant or unwilling. And the way that I sort of conceptualize this and think about it is like an internal struggle. Usually that would start because you've been told to do something or you feel pressured to do something for whatever reason. It just doesn't feel quite right to you. That very key part of this is that it's something you're being kind of pushed to do or you feel like you have to do. Like you're not 
making a decision reluctantly. It's you're being pushed to do something and you do it despite your reluctance to do it. I think a good synonym would be hesitance or or hesitation. So we're going to keep that in mind as we discuss the choices that they make in this episode. And for the first time, we are going to specifically discuss the brothers and Cass. Oh, I'm excited. I, I will be very honest. I was doing my notes, like putting all my notes in for this week. And then I got to that part where normally it's just like the any other examples. And it's like, and Cass. And I'm like, <gasps> kitty. We'll talk about it a little bit more. But at this point, Cass becomes a, a true player in this game. All right, let's get us started with Sam. Please go ahead. I think for me, what's really notable about Sam this week is that there's no reluctance in him. He's not reluctant to ask for Ruby's help. He's not reluctant to drink her blood. He's not reluctant to use his enhanced powers. And he's not reluctant to kill Alistair. And that's after the warning that he got from Heaven and the warning that he got from Pam. Like, he's really convinced that he's doing the right thing. And if anything, he's very reluctant to follow anyone's advice that doesn't align with that certitude that he's doing the right thing. I really enjoy when we have a theme, in this case, reluctance, where, spoiler alert, it goes very differently for both of them. Uh, Whereas Dean is very reluctant this episode, but still has to go on with it. Sam is the reverse. And it's almost like there's a reluctance to hold back. Like, I feel like. He has been so reluctant this entire time when it comes to his powers, because every time he does use them, he gets told you shouldn't have done that or look how bad it is. And he's always being shamed for it or thinking he's a freak or a monster for doing it. But he's just like hit this breaking point this week. Like I literally picture it as like his face pressed up against this wall that he's been staring at all season and just finally is like, no, I have these powers. I can do more. And I'm done being held back. He is done holding himself back. He is done hesitating to do what he feels needs to be done. And I also really like the fact that the thing that finally tips him over the edge more than anything else is not so much a life and death scenario for Dean, but it's like a moment of Dean's like comfort and like innocence almost being lost. Like, it'd be one thing if this was like, I have to abuse these powers to save Dean because he's going to die. But in this case, it's I have to use these powers, as he says out loud, because Dean isn't strong enough to do this. But I think what he really means is I don't think Dean is strong enough to do this again and come back from it again. Like, I think we were lucky that he survived what he did in hell and came back to the Dean we know and love. I don't want to mentally lose my brother. So Sam goes full Marceline the Vampire Queen because it's time to save Dean properly. I think that you have a much more generous interpretation of Sam's motivation in this one than I do. And you know how much I love Sam, but I I did not see it that way. So I'm really glad that you're bringing this perspective because to me, it was more about Dean's not strong enough. And I kind of linked it back to sex and violence when we basically heard him say that Dean was holding him back. At the time, he had said, oh, you know, it was the siren talking, but kind of like what you said when we were recording Sex and Violence, maybe the siren just kind of gave him the freedom to do and say the stuff that he otherwise wouldn't have felt free enough 
to do or say. So I'll be very, very upfront with you. I really had to struggle with this, this image of it in my mind because of that moment in sex and violence, because I think we're all very comfortable putting on the table that what Sam meant, what he said. But now there's part of me that wonders if my reading of Sam this week doesn't relate back to that reading the same way. That what Sam meant by you're holding me back is I know you will never go full dark side because you have been there and you've come back from it and you'll never do it again. I'm ready to go full dark side because I know it's the right move to save the world. While watching Sex and Violence, I was in your camp having to retroactively revisit that in my mind, looking at this reasoning and this push to save Dean in this way made me feel like maybe as hurtful as it was in the time to say it. While it was still true, it was taken not in the right context. Well, that's really interesting. We're going to keep that in mind as we go forward. Are we ready to talk about Dean? I would love to hear what you have to say about Dean. He's very reluctant to go in that room and torture Alistair. He even tells Cass that if he sends him in there, uh, and I quote, he's not going to like what comes out. Kind of like what we were discussing, he's he's basically afraid to tap into that part of his memory, that part of his past that sort of allowed him to survive for so many years in hell. I see him as concerned that if he gets back in touch with that side of him, that he's not going to be able to lock it back in a box, so to speak. And I feel like this happens to trauma survivors sometimes where they're afraid to kind of like explore certain feelings, particularly of anger, because they just don't know if they're going to be able to manage them once they tap into them. And when I say they, I mean we. All the strength to you of being able to admit that and say that, because as someone who's never had to deal with that level of trauma, I can't imagine what it would take to have to face that fear again. If there was a part of Dean that wanted revenge on Alistair, he'd have done it. But he is so far removed from this part of his past. He is so reluctant to revisit it, whether it be I mean, like it took him so many episodes to talk about it, which is still impressive that he did. But even in just talking about it, it brought him to tears, which we've never really seen do. Well, there was home, there was Sam dying, there was bloodlust, I think. The one where he's like, I hate these things. I hate the fangs. Yeah, so definitely not a lot. Well, I mean, he's going to cry for all of the usual reasons, right? His mom, his dad, his queerness, and Sam. Another possible theme for this episode would be revenge, because, like you said, this would be a really good opportunity for Dean to get his revenge, but that's not what he wants. And this is really interesting, considering where the this series started, I find. Dean's continuing the vendetta to get revenge for his mother's death. Have we ever really seen Dean want revenge on anything else or any other way? No. I feel like I might be like imprinting this on Sam in a way where I'm like putting it on him more than it probably is. But I feel like when he's slighted by something or something doesn't go his way, he's much quicker to become vengeful. I think you're not imagining it at all. I think it's a part of who he is. And that's kind of why also like sometimes I talk about Sam and John as being very similar. Oh, that's a very interesting bubble to suddenly burst and reveal to me. I like it when we come at things with different perspectives, because then we're sort of able to kind of like figure something else together. In both of us doing it, we often 
get back to the really obvious stuff when it needs to be said, but also explore very different angles of things that lead to more interesting conversations, which is nice. There's one last thing I want to say about Dean before we move on to Cass. It's that I want to highlight how quickly he internalizes what Alistair said to him. Because Alistair told him that he's not the man that his dad wanted him to be. And literally, Dean regurgitates that exact sentence to Cass at the end of the episode. And he's in a really super fragile place emotionally. And I think that he doesn't really have a strong concept of who he is in that moment. He's always been told who he is, but he never really got to define that for himself and say it for himself. And that fits within his queerness as well. And in that moment, Cass is there to kind of witness that, to bear witness in that moment. And I think that that's really important. I feel like the downside to being such a Cass fan before coming into the show and meeting him initially was there was already a very heavy leaning on the Dean Cass romance. We have the look, we have some of the conversations, we have some of the, you know, meeting him at the end of his bed. Like, there's moments. We're not going to deny those. But this is the first time where they really have a connective moment that feels like it's very much just the two of them versus their worlds colliding. It's really just the two of them colliding. I mean, the reality is that this is a moment of, like, emotional intimacy that Dean has never had on screen with anybody else, except maybe Sam. And even then, those are pretty, like, mm. This is him at his most vulnerable. And I would argue that he would not be opening to Sam up the way that he is to Cass in this moment. No, I agree completely. I also will argue that the reason why he's opening up, or at least for the part of the reason why that he is, is because Cass opened up to him before and told him that he was having doubts. And so this then feels like a more safe space for him to explore his own doubt of himself Instead of just putting on that macho facade of like, I can do whatever. Cass does not impose a certain kind of masculinity on him. Dean's comfort with Cass, while it seems out of character, isn't. Oh no, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's not at all. If you describe Dean to me in the most like, just this is Dean, and Dean doesn't talk about emotions, and then he meets Cass, and Cass is this, but they talk about emotions, I'd be like, I'm missing something here. In seeing it evolve the way it does between the acting choices and the characterization and just their connection, it makes perfect sense. Are we ready to talk about cast a little bit? Yes, let's actually go into cast time. I'm going to start with the obvious one, which is that he's very reluctant to have Dean torture Alistair. And he uses the iconic phrase, I would give anything not to have you do this. We literally have someone who is reluctant to follow orders following orders that he'd be reluctant to follow even if he believed they were the right orders. Like, he is literally looking at a path where he's like, I don't want to do A, and I don't want to do B, but A says I have to do B. Like, don't do either! And like, yes, ultimately by the end of the episode, he does learn that he can choose option C, which is fuck A and B. He's doubling down on the hesitation and reluctance. He is, because keep in mind that, and I think that that will be made clear a little bit later, but like angels are told what to do. They are soldiers. They're not thinkers. This is, this, if you go at it through that lens, you realize just how momentous it is that Cass went against Uriel in this episode. 
Cass really coming to terms even before the actual realization by the end of the episode after talking to Anna and killing Uriel, it's very clear that th- there's a doubt in him. You know, it's it, it's gone from I have questions to no, 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 something's not right. Like he's fully accepted that there's something wrong. And this is the first time he really makes that like he, he I can't remember if he actually says it, but it's very it's made apparent to us as the audience that. This is the turning point of, oh, yeah, something's not right up there. This is kind of my next point about Cass, is that he's reluctant to trust other angels with what's happening. And I'm going to start with talking about Anna a little bit, because he doesn't know if he should trust Anna when she tells him that it's a good thing that he's doubting the orders that are given to him. And then that leads him to start doubting heaven. Uh, He says that maybe God isn't the one giving the orders anymore. And we get... This like incredibly powerful visual of the streetlight dimming, which is meant to represent Cass's like dimming halo as his doubts continue to grow. And this is when he says, I'm considering disobedience. Like what a weird way to word that, but I fucking love it. Let's go back to, to Heaven and Hell, episode 10. Anna fell because she disobeyed. And why did she disobey again? She disobeyed in order to feel loyalty, forgiveness, love, chocolate cake, and sex. So why is Castiel considering disobedience? Because for the first time, and I quote, for the first time I feel. There seems to be this narrative you are constructing where I don't believe angels can feel. No. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you are misrepresenting the situation entirely, sir. I do not appreciate this. <laughs> I want clarity. Did I ever did I ever insinuate that early on? And I'm just forgetting that I did. It's something that I was wondering if we go back to heaven and hell where I'm like, I don't know if it's clearly stated that angels can feel You know, like I wasn't sure exactly what was going on with Anna. And that's kind of why I said, like, let's track this as we move on. And this we're coming back to it now. If I'm breaking story time for a second, I think it's also because there's some debate within the wider fandom about whether or not angels can feel human emotion, particularly love and romantic love. And that's why That's why this is something that has been on my mind as we're going through these really, really important episodes about angels falling and angels feeling emotions. I think the proximity to humans helps them better understand emotion and realize what they're feeling is emotions. I would just say that I don't think that that necessarily is the be all end all because Uriel has been close to humans and he doesn't seem to feel any sympathy. If anything, he feels disgust for humans but that is an emotion in that sense well that's all i felt towards him so it's fine (laughs) you're like it's mutual sir (laughs) it's like a mirror image thing if you are loved then you feel love okay but we agree then angels can feel 100 percent, yes okay even without falling without being altered in any way like angels can angels can feel I'm sure falling or just spending time with humans can make this easier to understand, comprehend and connect to. So just to close out Cass's arc in this episode, he asks Anna what to do and she refuses to tell him. So would it be fair to say then that Cass's very first act of free will is to confront Uriel? 
and then to immediately go see Dean in the hospital? I think confronting Uriel is asking the question and the answer is seeing Dean in the hospital. Yeah, I'd argue his first act of free will is to go visit Dean, but he can't do this until he has set himself free in a way that he can express his free will, which is the confrontation with Ariel. I like it. Is there any other place in the episode where you see uh, reluctance? Anna's reluctance to help Cass more in this episode? Like, clearly the end result is she goes like, haha, I knew Uriel was bad. I knew there was something going on. I just needed, like, to get there and you helped me. Doesn't offer to help Cass, kind of, like, sets him up to almost fail, and, like, I guess the idea from a, like, story perspective is the, like, Cass had to learn on his own. No, if you know someone's going to, like, backstab and possibly kill somebody who could be your ally, you help them a little more. I'm not saying you just outright say, I think Uriel's bad, we should go in there and talk to him together, because then you might just be, like, poisoning the, wa- the well a little bit there. At least, like, let's go confront him together. I also have questions. Let's try to get to the bottom of this. I don't think it's a demon, like... I will say that there's a very important narrative reason for that. Oh, I'm going to retroactively apologize to Anna, aren't I? Damn it. That kind of lies in the whole, like, you know how he's like, tell me what to do. And then she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. You have your own free will. You can do what you think is best. Yeah, which is I think my issue is it's, it's written in a way where it makes it look like she's trying to help him achieve this free will. Like when you look at it from the bigger picture perspective, it's like I'm letting you walk into a trap unarmed because I'm trying to teach you a lesson versus actually help you. It's one of those moments where the like story took over the like thinking part of it. I mean, I get it, but I'm going to side with the writers on this one. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I get it. I get it. I'm going to I think I'm okay to suspend disbelief because I understand why. But I also understand that because you understand why you don't like it. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I think I'm with you. I'm, I'm okay siding with the writers on this one. I just needed to be aware that I was upset by it in some way. Your upset is noted in the minutes of this meeting. And with this meeting adjourned, shall we move to critical time? Okay. So who did we have working on this episode this week? Well, for me to be such a writer apologist, it would have to be Ben Edlund. <laughs> I didn't even consider that, but that makes perfect sense. The episode was directed by Mike Roll. Would you like to regale us with some lore this week? You have a throbbing headache. As you begin to get out of bed, you can't help but wander over to the bathroom and look in the mirror. You examine yourself for a moment. You look intrigued. But all you can feel is pain, like something pushing on your skull from the inside. You head straight for your front door, stopping to pat yourself down for the essentials before exiting. Did you lock the door? Do you even know why you've left? As you start the car and feel the rumble of the engine turning over, you realize it. Somehow, this isn't you. Until right now, You have not been able to figure this out, but you're not the one gripping the steering wheel. You're not the one rummaging through the glove box to see what might be in there. You are merely a passenger. Someone else is at the helm. Someone else is planning this outing. Someone else has the wheel. And you, you can do nothing about it. 
I decided to look up Alistair to see like kind of what the biblical history was for him. I feel like he was going to be another like biblical figure in Christianity and like there'd be some stories about him that would lead to like why he was the chosen demon for this bit. Biblically, there's like nothing. There were other cultures, other religions, other stories that come up with that name, especially given one of the stories of Alistair that I do want to bring up. In Greek texts where it was actually a title for Zeus. And with this title, he was described as, and I'm quoting the text here, the avenger of evil deeds, specifically familial bloodshed. Ooh. That's really interesting because if it has a meaning, then like, what exactly are they saying? Looking through most of the examples of where this name was used, both in like historical context and like modern I say modern, like it's been used as like a generic name in a lot of video games or movies or books as just like a demon who possessed people or even the name of a weapon of some sort. But like this is the only one that really had like any story that I could track down in the time that I had with any kind of actual sourcing. And I just thought it was like something about like family shedding blood and evil deeds just like rang way too true for the show. If I may put in a request. I would love to hear about Lilith a bit more because Alistair is now no longer with us. I think we can safely assume that Lilith is going to come back in full force. Prediction wise is she'll kind of be the big bad for the end of this season, if not next season. So probably in one of those two, I'll do a bit of a deeper dive on her. One of my big beefs with Supernatural is that they misrepresented her lore very much. I am very excited to talk about it. Do you have any thoughts for this week to share with us, please? I just want to highlight again, because we've done that a couple times, but again, just how huge this episode is, because a lot of it like sticks throughout the next few seasons, let's say. There's like a lot that I wish that we could cover. But the one thing that I really want to cover here and talk about is John. I personally refuse to believe that he didn't break in hell. And this isn't me saying that my vision is the only one or even the right one. Uh, If you don't think that he broke, like that's perfectly fine. I don't mind. But with my own knowledge of John and the deep dive that we've been doing, I cannot imagine him not breaking. I think that he did break and torture people, but that it didn't break the seal because he was not the righteous man. Amen. And as I'm saying this, I'm sort of thinking about like Disney's version of Aladdin, where Jafar is looking for a man with a heart of gold. You know, like if it doesn't work, it just doesn't work. And that's it. That's all like and you will only know once they do it, once they enter the cave. And this is kind of what's happening. Like you only know if this is the righteous man once you shed blood or once the man, the righteous man sheds blood. So here hell is looking for the righteous man. And bottom line, it's not John Winchester. Now, I also want to put a disclaimer here that there's going to be new information that comes to light next season that really puts into question if hell even attempted to break the seal with John. Even on a more surface level, we literally have a character whose like defining trait is he's great at torturing. And yes, I think when we look at the scene of we hear about the torture and then we see the torture being done to Alistair by Dean. 
physical torture is very clearly on the table, no pun intended there. However, psychological torture is a thing, and literally all Alistair is doing while strapped to this table is trying to get under Dean's skin mentally. So why not put him in a place that he knows he's going to win, which is making it all his fault, making him the martyr for a bad thing, and saying that his father was better than him because all Dean ever wants to be is better than his father was because his father was clearly shit. I'm willing to bet my cards on the table, John, lasted 30 minutes before saying, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I don't believe Alistair when he says that he didn't break. That's all. Amen. Let's go have a listen at what our community has to say this week. This week, we have a message from Nell. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send a three-minute voicemail. Where do you see reluctance in Supernatural? Do you think John broke in hell? Or to respond to something else entirely different that we discussed today? You can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Hi, Carrying Wayward. It's Nell again. Um, I just recorded another voicemail for you, and now I'm doing the second one. Um, and I want to talk specifically about In Yellow Fever something you all talked about with Dean and sort of flirting with men and this whole thing. Um, and how it's very different to the way he sort of flirts with women. And I think my sort of take on this, my hot take, if you will, is that Dean has trouble recognizing when he's attracted to men as opposed to attracted to women. And part of this is probably because growing up, he didn't really have any good examples of real life relationships that were like healthy and good most of the hunters he knew were single obviously his father and mother's relationship ended in flames and so most of the understanding he has of relationships comes from media right from movies and tv and books and at the time he was growing up in like the 80s and the 90s there weren't a lot of good examples of homosexual relationships in media um, and so I think Dean got his ideas of what attraction feels like to women through through media. And then he has more trouble figuring out what it is when it comes to men. And there's an excellent uh, fan fiction that everyone should read called Four Letter Word for Intercourse by Bending Signpost. And there's a point in this fanfic where Dean says something along the lines of, I always thought, when it, you know, when it comes to men, I always thought I either wanted to fight them or be them. And I think... That's so apt for who Dean is. Like when he sees a man that he thinks is attractive, I think he instantly jumps to this sort of aggressive point and take on them. Like we see it with, with Victor, uh, with Henriksen, this like immediate jump to, to wanting to be a battle. And then like we actually realize he has the hugest crush on him in the world. And I think that like happens over and over with, with Dean that he does have this confusion between lust for a fight and lust for a person or a man. So he does, like, he sees a man and he's like, when it comes to film stars, who he talks about a lot, or, like, he talks about, um, at some point you'll meet Dr. Sexy, and that'll be great. And he's got this, like, whole fangirl thing. And I think it's like, he's thinking, like, oh, I want to be this person so bad or whatever. But it's like, no, Dean, honey, you just want to sleep with them really bad. Um, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on sort of how Dean's attraction to men plays out versus his attraction to women, because I think there are some really 
key differences there that are sort of rooted in his understanding of romantic relationships. So yeah, let me know what you think. See y'all next time. <laughs> Their relationship went up in flames. Oh my god. <laughs> I died. I was like, oh my god. Oh my god. No. <laughs> now you're vicious and I love it. Do you think I, I can start it? with this one? <laughs> Please go ahead. I need a minute. So while Drew is kind of getting over the whole relationship went up in flames line, I'm going to get started. So Nell, thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. I think it's a really important thing to talk about, and I'm going to rely on Drew a little bit. But I will say that as, again, as a, as a woman, my attraction for men and my attraction for women is completely different. And that's just as you explained, because my attraction for men has been dictated or has been informed by what I've seen in the media, what I've seen in my life, what I've seen in literature. And I I like men. I think I like men because of those reasons, because it's that's what's expected of me. But then when I think about women, like the way that I that liking of women kind of goes through like, you know, wanting to do their hair, wanting to do their makeup, like just wanting to be around them. And like, it's, it's a very different, it's a very different kind of attraction. And so I'm relating to what you're discussing. I also adore that you brought up for letter word for intercourse, um, because it's genuinely a fantastic fanfic. I will say though, please mind the tags, read carefully before you start. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm really excited to hear from Drew about his own point of view about that. But yeah, for me, like attraction to men is very informed by things that I've seen, whereas attraction for women, it's a bit more free and it's a bit more me. And it, I'm going to stop there before I make some more realizations. <laughs> hey, don't worry. This last year of being out has opened up my eyes to many things on that um, on this exact side. Um, before I dive into that, I'm going to address what you said first, which is four letter word. That is the fanfic you requested to read the first chapter of, right? I just need you to read the first chapter. Kay. That's all. I have it bookmarked. I just need a night where I'm not doing something. It's been a busy few days. I feel bad. Like, I feel guilty. I've made it clear I'm going to read it to our, like, our Discord. So I'm like, I'm accountable. Though. I have to. I just need an afternoon to sit outside and do it. Oh, don't sit outside. Oh, God. I will wait till the wife's asleep and sit in the basement. <laughs> You know, you're right. There was a really great, uh, I want to say it was a TikTok recently that came up that discussed as any media student talking about, you know, attractiveness will get into is the male gaze. And it's how often the male gaze is describing how we view women in media, but it's also how we view men in media. Like when they make, and I'm not going to sit here and say that Hemsworth is Thor is not snacktacular to use um my word of choice there but he is painted to look like what every man wants to be this idyllic hunk that gets all the women versus like if you really look at thor as like a romantic partner like i mean like himbo only goes so far before it's like detrimental it's just interesting to see like the way that women are attracted to thor versus the way that women are attracted to loki Completely different types of attraction. I think that's a very different type of attraction. And I think that's also a perfect segue into how, again, like you said, we're raised on media. And that was such a great point to think about Dean in that way is I think of the 
I, I'll be fully honest. As soon as you said that, I kind of had like a mental like mind palace moment of like going into my brain and like picturing the male role models I had on, from TV or from movies and started to go, which ones that I have more of a crush on and didn't realize it was a crush until now that I'm looking back going, oh, yeah, men are, are like equal to women in that way in my mind. And there are some. There are definitely some men in media. Uh, the first example I can think of is the Green Power Ranger. I'm just going to put it out there. Dude was gorgeous and was just like the bad boy who you could fix and they do fix him and then he takes care of everyone else. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm getting a moment here and I met that man. I have pictures of me and him together. Holy crap. I'm even worse now. Whew, okay. Um, but yeah. <laughs> you need a moment? <laughs> yeah, oof, getting flustered thinking about Tommy here. Um, but yeah, no, there is this level of the way media teaches you how to feel like when I was a kid and I if you ask me as a child to describe like my wife when I grew up I I wouldn't have picked the woman I would pick today because I didn't know that was a choice because media doesn't teach you this and that's what we have to go off of and Dean more so so it makes sense that Dean's crushes came out as fandom and looking at myself even I'm realizing now that the things I was fans of the franchises I've been fans of Sometimes we're really based on having an amazing crush on a certain male character sometimes. Wow, I'm just going through all of them in my head right now. This is going to be a post-show one of these days of just what are Drew's male crushes he didn't realize about till now. I think with that we have our topic for tonight. But I, I completely agree with you. I mean, if I look back, you know, on a lot of my... A lot of the women that I looked up to when I was a teenager, it wasn't so much looking up to them as it was like attraction to them frankly you don't have the vocabulary to make that known even to yourself like you yourself are looking at this going i feel a certain way but it doesn't compute like the puzzle pieces don't fit in reality they do you just haven't been taught to turn the piece a certain way so you have to fit it in the way that does work with the tools you have at the time and that builds that type of relationship in your mind that you can look back on years later and realize you maybe had a crush on. Right. And I think that there's something incredibly quintessential to the bisexual or pansexual experience, which is like, you know, knowing that you're still attracted to the opposite sex, meaning that like you still feel attraction there. So like you, it's hard to kind of make sense of that when in, in the era that we grew up in, like, Bi and pan weren't really like real options, right? Like you were straight or gay and that was it. When you're told that sexuality is not, it's either or, it's either gay or straight. It's really hard to kind of put together the fact that, oh, I'm actually bi or pan or queer or however you want to label yourself. I, I agree with you now. I think that for Dean, it's particularly hard. And even though I am sort of turning into a gay Dean truther, it still fits. His experience is quintessentially bisexual as well in so many ways. To, to return to Nell's core point here, which is the how Dean interacts with men that he thinks he may like versus women. Again, he has the playbook of how to do one and not the other. So when he... We even see it in the way that he's confronted by women who are comfortable in their sexuality. They break the mold that he was taught to grow up with. And suddenly he is just a blabbering mess the same way he is when he has a crush on a guy. 
And I think that that's interesting because the whole idea of like the playbook for me has been a hindrance in my life. And I think that it's, I mean, I don't know if it's been a hindrance in Dean's life, but it's like by following the playbook, you're not actually exploring the people that you really would like to explore. Oh, 100%. That's exactly the point. With this beautiful conversation and weird realizations, shall we go to other more appropriate reflections and call to action? More appropriate? Why more appropriate? This was appropriate. Some of my thoughts aren't, but let's continue. Oh. I kind of alluded to this in uh, my discussion of Sam kind of being forced to face something and like even the like metaphorical, like he is being pushed up against something and having to finally choose whether to fight back or break through. And while Sam accepted and Dean forcibly had to, even though he didn't want to, it's all about expectations. It really makes you remember like there are expectations on these two to act a certain way and be a certain way and to achieve certain things. And I feel like that's a conversation for another day, but it reminded me that we have expectations for ourselves. We have expectations put upon us by others. And sometimes you won't meet those expectations. Sometimes whether by circumstance, by choice, by uh, just actual inability, expectations don't get met. And my call to action is we can remember that we're not perfect. We are going to make mistakes. And making a mistake is just an opportunity to learn and move on and try again or learn from it and do something new. You know, we can be the Sam and make that choice that seems like the right choice in the moment and maybe doesn't go right down the road. And hopefully it's a learning experience and hopefully it doesn't hurt too much. But at the end of the day, we can't hate ourselves for trying or for breaking expectations, especially ones that aren't set up on ourselves. And to also remember that maybe not to like lower your standards, but like be reasonable with your expectations for yourself, knowing your limits and just be kind to yourself. So I'm going to be nicer to me. As you should. Well, we talked briefly about anger in trauma survivors in this episode. And I just sort of wanted to mention that this isn't just an opinion. It's backed up by research. And it's also something that I, I experience. Um, and the reason why I'm talking about this is that I know that anger is a hard emotion for me. I was never really taught how to feel it and how to honor it when I was growing up. And so now I'm in a situation where I just, I don't know what to do with it when it arises. So my call to action is to take small steps to kind of tap into those emotions that I've tried to box in for so long. Good for you for realizing it and to put it into words. That's the first step to making a move. So thank you. listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano and hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Nell for their message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a three-minute voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward, and leave us a rating and review on your podcast service of choice. And don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. Oh my god, demons are so confusing. Fuck this.
This is the worst thing they've done to me all day. 